0: We are in the book of Ruth, and we are now in chapter 4. This is our fifth week of what will be a six-week series. We'll wrap it up next week. Uh, But this series I've entitled, Redeeming Love, Redeeming Love. And as we've walked through the book of Ruth, word for word, chapter through chapter, and have caught all the way up to chapter 4, let me take maybe just 60 seconds to two minutes to kind of, for those that maybe we're not here, or if you missed a few weeks, or maybe you just need to be refreshed, here's where we were to get where we are, all right? Some of you, in fact, most of you have probably read the book of Ruth. I know when I first bought a Bible, it's the first book I read because it was the shortest one. So I got to start somewhere, right? So I started with Ruth. But here's what happens to get us to where, where we are today. We talked in the very beginning of chapter one in Ruth about this story of a woman named Naomi who married a Jewish man named Elimelech. And they disobeyed and disowned their own nation of Israel and went into a town called Moab. And they lived there for about a decade. And they had two sons that had two wives. And one day Naomi wakes up and realizes her husband has now died. Her two sons have now died. And it's just her and her two daughters-in-law. And she tells both her daughters-in-law to just leave, go, go back to your home. I'm not going to have any more children, and even if I do, I'd have to get married today, which I won't, and the kids are not going to be you know, grown men for another 18 years, at which time both, neither one of you are going to be childbearing, so just go, go home. And both of them say, no, 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 we're going to follow you, but only one of them actually does, and that's Ruth, the one who bears the name of the book. Ruth shows unspeakable loyalty in a moment of brokenness. In fact, the first message we had, we focused on what it means to be at rock bottom brokenness. And because of sin, every human being in this room has experienced brokenness in a different way. Then in our second message at the end of chapter one, we talked about loyalty. How Ruth, in a moment of brokenness, showed to Naomi what all of us yearn to see when we're broken. We're yearning to see people who stick to a commitment, even when it's difficult, and do what they say that they're going to do. That's exactly what Ruth does. And they turn turn around and they go back to Bethlehem. And they don't know what's going to happen when they get there, but we get into chapter 2 and we find out that God blesses the loyalty of Ruth and the faithfulness of Naomi to repent and go back home again. As Ruth goes into the grain field, God blesses abundantly, She takes home what would have been a month's worth of harvest in one day because of the generosity of Boaz, but really the grace of God, and they meet Boaz for the first time. And then we see in the last chapter, in chapter 3, as we've gone from the brokenness of sin to the loyalty of Ruth to the grace of God found in those grain fields. And the last time we talked in chapter 3, as we were continuing to walk through the passage, we talked about this idea of submission, A word that's not very popular in 2018, specifically in this country. Ruth shows that only the strong are truly submissive. Ruth was submissive to her mother-in-law, Naomi, when Naomi said, go out to the threshing floor and find this man named Boaz and lay at his feet until he wakes up and then ask him to marry you so that he can redeem us. And she said these words to Ruth. I will do exactly as you say. And that was not a sign of weakness, that was a sign of strength. And then we saw towards the end of that chapter that she sat at the feet of Boaz and he woke up and saw her a little bit startled to be at the threshing floor, the second floor of this harvest barn. And he's got this uh, washed and perfumed woman smelling so sweet sitting at his feet in the middle of the night and he wakes up startled and she just says, spread your wings over me and redeem me. And what Boaz says is, listen, there's a process here and there are men in the family that you were married into who are closer to you than I am. They have first right to redeem you, but if they don't, I will. And the chapter ends with Boaz saying, stay at my feet until the morning and when I wake up, I'm going to go pursue who this redeemer might be. And that's what leads us into the beginning of chapter four, which is where we are today. The title of our message here this morning is Counting the Cost." of redemption, counting the cost of redemption. So we've talked about brokenness and loyalty and grace and submission. If there's a key word for today that I want you to leave with, that word simply is redemption. But to get us ready for the passage, what I often like to do is to prime the pump, open up your heart and mind, make you think a little bit. And uh, I'm going to ask you a question that all of us can have an answer to. Here's what I want to ask you: What is the most expensive thing you've ever purchased, and how did you feel handing the money over for it? (laughs) Think about it: the most expensive thing you've ever bought, and how did you feel when you were at the cash register? How did you feel when you were handing over the cash, or most likely the credit card or the check? I mean, think about it: that the trembling of the hand. Uh, I thought about this myself as I was going through the passage. There's only two times in my life that I wrote a check that had five numbers on it. <laughs> two times. And I'm reminded of those two times because they're both parked out there in the parking lot. <laughs> and the funny thing is, my, uh, one of my lifelong friends called me this past week. He just bought his son his first truck. And he said to me, he said, I'm sure you don't have that Silverado you bought years ago when you were living out in California. I said, you'd be wrong." <laughs> It may have just about 200,000 miles on it, and it's a 2002, but I remember the day I handed that check over for it, and I feel the weight of that, even today as I get in that car, I'm going to ride that thing till the wheels come off, (laughs) because I remember the cost. I remember the cost. All of you have made sacrifices in your life to have things that you thought were important, and perhaps you treasure them and you cherish them because you knew the cost well, today we're going to be looking at this passage in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1-12, through 12, and we're going to be counting the cost. We're going to be looking at the cost that Boaz has to face in order to redeem Ruth. Before we do that, I want to remind you of something that came to my mind as I was reading this passage. I don't know if anyone in this room has ever seen a movie called Brewster's Millions. And there's a couple hands raised in the back. Brewster's Millions. I don't know why this story kept coming to my brain as I was reading this passage, and and you thought, man, Bo, where where are you going at with this? Well, stay tuned. So Brewster's Millions started off as a book that was written in 1902, then it became a play that was made in 1906. Then it was made into a black-and-white movie in 1945, which I've actually seen the black-and-white movie, which is pretty good. But in 1985, they remade the movie again with one of my favorite actors, Richard Pryor, as the main character, one of the best comedians who's ever walked the face of the earth. And uh, Richard Pryor was this character, Montgomery Brewster, who was a minor league pitcher making no money. And one day he finds out that he has this very wealthy uncle who's passed away that he didn't even know. And this uncle has decided to leave him the family fortune, which is $300 million. But to receive the $300 million, the stipulation is he has to spend $30 million in 30 days. And the, the whole movie, and I won't give away the whole plot if you haven't watched it. I, you know, rent it on Netflix or whatever. But... Um, Basically, the whole plot, the whole 30 days, he's trying as hard as he can to spend $30 million, and all these things are happening. He's going over to the casino, and when he drops on the blackjack, he actually doubles his money, and he can't give it away. He tries to run for mayor and throw all his money into a campaign, and people actually want to vote him as the mayor, and all these things keep happening. And it's a funny story. I won't tell you the ending, but I'll just say this. The reason why the rich uncle wanted him to spend $30 million in 30 days is he wanted him to feel what it was like to spend that type of money so that when he inherited the real money, he'd think twice about it. He wanted him to feel the weight and the cost of blowing through that type of money that he would be physically sick at the idea of actually spending it when he got it. Now here's the difference between that movie and what we're going to read here in chapter 4. In that movie... Richard Pryor had to make sacrificial purchases to receive a family inheritance. What we'll find out as we walk through the first 12 verses of chapter 4 is Boaz is going to have to make a sacrificial purchase, yet he is not the one who's going to receive the inheritance. He is purchasing it sacrificially for someone else. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Ruth. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of the main idea. Okay, In one sentence as you're turning to Ruth chapter 4, what I want to say is Boaz's sacrificial purchase of Ruth's earthly redemption helps us to understand Christ's sacrificial purchase of our eternal redemption redemption. So as I said in every week, as we walk through the passage, there's, there's an earthly story, and we don't want to bypass that. There are real people. This really happened. We want to stop and think about Ruth and Boaz, but we also want to see as we walk through these 12 verses, how does this point to Jesus, and how does this affect our life as well? So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Ruth 4. If you don't, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We're on page uh, 263 in your pew Bible, and if you would stand at this time. Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, perfect, and fully sufficient word, we're in Ruth chapter 4, and we are in verses 1 through 12. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Verse 5, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we do love you. We thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. Father, would you be with us? So many things happening in the sanctuary here this morning, all good things with the exception of one. Yet that one has gripped a lot of our hearts and minds. Father, again, we do pray that you be with Brother Ronnie right at this hour as he heads to Vidalia, Father. And I, I pray for us as we, in the next 15 minutes, consider the truth of your word. Let us just, even for these few moments, Father, allow you to speak to us. Clear our hearts and minds. Allow us to receive the truth of your word. Allow us to respond to it in repentance and faith. Father, would you just draw us close to you? We need you right now, Father, right now. Let your spirit be evident in this room, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, start off again in the beginning of chapter four of the book of Ruth and the key word being redemption, I always like to define our terms because sometimes we just have a different definition. In my own words, I would say redemption means simply to be saved from a helpless position of loss and restored to a blessed position of gain. All right, When you are redeemed, it means you had something that was lost and you need to get it back. And if you are redeemed, it means that you have no power to get it back yourself. You need a redeemer. And so one of the things we mentioned, uh, I think last time we met before Easter, is one of the main terms that, unless you're from Israel, you may not know, is the term kinsman redeemer. And so we defined that a couple of weeks ago, but repetition is good for us. So let's talk about it again. What is a kinsman redeemer? What is it? I mean, in America in 2018, you never hear the term. It doesn't really exist with us. But here's what we have to remember. The nation of Israel is a holy nation that God called unto himself, and this nation was supposed to be a representation to the rest of the world of who God is. So Israel was very concerned about preserving their family name. If you were an Israelite, you came from one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that was really important. And you did everything you could to preserve the family line. And so kinsmen redeemers would come along, and what they were were men within the same family, the same tribe, who, if you lost something or were in danger of losing something, they could come and redeem you to restore the family line. Now, to redeem, they could redeem land that was lost, okay? If someone had sold themselves into slavery and gotten into some trouble, they could redeem them from slavery, all right? there's, There's all kinds of things. There's property, slavery. You could avenge the death of a family member or become a trustee of the family. There were so many different ways in which you could be a kinsman redeemer, but one of the main ways was that if you married a widow from someone in the family line, you could marry them, have more children, and those children would be preserving the family name. And that's exactly what we're seeing here as we walk to chapter 4. There is property involved, and that's where the, the passage starts. But then we find out there's a lot more than that. Ruth, the young widow, has, does not have children. And so anyone who buys this land for Naomi's family, which was her husband Elimelech, also has to take with them Ruth and have children. And the children that they have with Ruth, they're the ones that get to keep the inheritance. And as we see, that's, all the terms of this are not laid out right away. But because they're not, we see the heart of those who are truly called to redeem and how they respond. And again, as we walk through this, I would also hope that we would stop and think as we walk through the passage how this affects our relationship with God through Jesus Christ as well. So let's jump right into the text in verses 1 through 4 as we took, take a look number one at the plan of redemption. The plan of of redemption, all right? So in verses one through four, we see that Boaz is getting ready to find a kinsman redeemer. He said at the end of chapter three to Ruth, listen, I know you want to get married. You want to preserve your family line. I would be honored to do it, but I'm not the, I'm not the closest in the line. So basically, if Elimelech had other family members who were closer to him, more immediate family members, it would be their responsibility first to marry Ruth, and then continue the family line. So obviously, we don't know who this first person is, and we'll talk in a minute about why that's intentional that he does not have a name. But what we do know is he's closer in the family line to Elimelech than Boaz is. So Boaz says, I would love to redeem you, but I, I, have, to, I have to go through due process. And so I have to offer this opportunity to this man. And here's the, here's the funny thing. If you look through verses one through four, uh, it says basically, this guy's listed as a nameless redeemer. In verse one it says, and behold, the redeemer of who Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. So every chance they have to name this guy, they don't name him. And anytime you see that in the Bible, there's always intention from the author. Every word in this book matters. God inspired the authors and every single word they put in there and the way that they put it in there, pay attention when you're reading. That's why it's good to read a little bit of scripture slowly, than to read a lot of Scripture quickly. All right? Why would he not have a name? Well, before we get to that, let me, let me just say, uh, as we're looking at the end of verse 1, where it says, turn aside, friends, sit down here. In the original language, that tone basically means, and so-and-so, like, and what's his name? In fact, uh, where I grew up in Philadelphia, we'd say, and Joey Bag of Donuts over there. Or in South Georgia when I was in college, and then it said, said Cooter Brown over there. You know, I mean, don't even remember his name. Why don't we know his name? Well, we're going to find out. Got to walk through the passage a little bit further. What we do know is that Boaz is not wasting any time. He said at the end of chapter 3, when the sun comes up, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find you a kinsman redeemer. And what does he do? The sun gets up and he gets going. Boaz, we know over and over, we've seen in the last couple of verses, is a man of his word. And he goes right to the gates of the city where the business is done. He calls the elders of the tribe of Judah, and they're at the gates, and he's getting ready to sit this man down and lay out the terms. And we see the term starts with purchasing land. All right? We see towards the end of verses 3 and 4, he says, listen, in verse 3, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Got some land for you. Elimelech, our relative, had it. He's died. Naomi's widowed. She's here. You buy the land. And here's what would happen. If he, if he purchased the land, Naomi would be able to live off the money, and he possibly would have to share a portion of the crop, uh, whatever crop they would have. He would have to share a portion of the proceeds to help Naomi live, but... His thought is this if Naomi does not have a husband and she does not have children, and I buy this land, no matter how much I give her, no matter how much I have to continue to give her when she dies, it's all mine. And so, how does he respond, this nameless redeemer? Well, at the end of verse 4, he says simply, I will redeem it. So, we've seen this plan of redemption here's some land, the family needs some help, buy this land be a good investment for you that's not where the story ends and that's the plan of redemption number two let's look at the price of redemption we've seen the plan but now let's hear the price let's get the fine print out all right let's see all the uh, stipulations that are involved as we see in verses five through six it says then boaz said the day you buy the field from the hand of naomi oh by the way You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And now in verse 6, we see his true heart. He says, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So we saw the plan of redemption, and this man seemed pretty interested in it. Sounds like a good investment. Yeah, I may have to give a little bit of money out front to to Naomi, help her live for the rest of her life. I may have to give a portion of the proceeds if I decide to crop the land. But when she dies, it's all going to be mine. And all of a sudden, Boaz says, not so fast. If you buy the land, you also have to marry Ruth. And if you marry Ruth, then the children that you are called to have, those children get all of this inheritance. You are merely, merely redeeming this family and preserving its name but you are not going to profit from this. In fact, you're going to lose on this one. You're going to lose a little bit. You're going to have to make a sacrifice. And as soon as he finds out there's sacrifice involved, that this is not necessarily an investment, you know what he says? I'm going to pass the buck on this one. Why don't you go after that, Boaz? You seem a little bit more excited about this than I do. And he got out of Dodge as quickly as he possibly could. Counting the price of redemption. Redemption. As we get ready to move on to number three, walking through the passage, because we really hit it hard as we go through verses 7 through 12, let me just say this. If this whole passage points to the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to stop for a minute and we need to say that we need to meditate on the price that was paid for us to be redeemed. We need to stop for a second because you know what, in the last two weeks we, we, you know, we, we walked through Holy Week and we talked about Monday, Thursday where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and then we talked about on uh, Good Friday when he hung on the cross and then Sunday when he came out of the tomb. A lot of people really can put their hearts and minds into what Jesus did for us Easter week. But once we turn the page from Easter and walk into the late spring and early summer, our mind is on other things. You never get past your redemption in Christ. It's not a, you know, it's not a springboard to, die, to push, pour you into other things. It's not. It, it's the key essential of our Christian faith. And we never get past that. And one of the ways that we grow on our love for Christ is to stop and meditate on the price that he had to pay. I'm going to talk more about that price as we get to our conclusion, but I just want to stop right now and say this. When Jesus redeemed you, he knew the price and he willingly paid it. Do we stop and think about that? Do we think about our eternal destiny was secured by a Savior who knew the high cost and said, I'm willing to sign on the dotted line. So now we know the plan and the price, but let's go to the purchase, number three. Let's go to the purchase in verses 7 through 12. Boaz says, you know what? I told you I was going to redeem this woman. If he didn't, he didn't. And guess what? I'm a man of my word. And I know the terms. I'm well aware of them. And I'm going to step up and I'm going to be a man of my word. I'm going to make this purchase. He says this in verse 9. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and to all... That belonged to Chilion and Malan, and Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. In fact, in this particular tradition, he takes off his sandal and hands it over to the elders and says, This is mine. I've purchased this land, I will marry this woman and I will sacrifice my own riches to make sure this family name is preserved. Now, there's something ironic here before we make our full conclusion and draw back to the cross of Christ, because that's where I'm headed. But at the end of, chapter, or, or, the, end of the passage here in verses um, 7 through 12, we see that the people respond by calling out special blessings for Ruth, for Boaz, and for Naomi. And here's the funny thing. The nameless redeemer who said he wouldn't do it decided not to sacrificially purchase the land because he wanted to preserve his own name, his own inheritance. And he tried so hard to preserve his own name and yet nobody in this room knows his name. Yet the one person who decided he didn't care about his name, he wanted to preserve somebody else's name, that was Boaz. And thousands of years later, everybody in this room is hearing his name. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose their life for Christ's sake will save it. And this is a perfect and beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ. He knows the plan. He knows the price. And he made the purchase. All right. As we draw to a close, let me just say, Christ is our Redeemer. He knew the plan of redemption before eternity passed. In Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 5 it says, "But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons." Think about the parallel between Boaz redeeming Ruth, preserving the family line of Elimelech, and taking what was lost and restoring it to them, to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent forth to redeem those who were under the law, that, as it says here at the end of verse 5 in Galatians 4, that so that they might receive adoption as sons. He gave up his family privilege that we would have family privilege. Boaz gave up his inheritance so that Ruth and eventually her children could have an inheritance. That's the plan of redemption. What about the price? I know that Jesus counted the cost, and here's why I know it. The Garden of Gethsemane. He sat there, and in Mark 14, 36, it says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was not surprised when he went to the cross. It wasn't like when he got there, he said, man, this is worse than what I signed up for. I can't believe how difficult this is. He knew that separation from the Father and being punished for our sins was gonna be inexpressible pain. In fact, he knew it in such a way, in his humanity, he said, if there's another way, I don't wanna go this way. But if there's not, this is your will, then I'll do it. And he did it. Same thing with Boaz. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Nevertheless, if he won't buy and redeem Ruth, I will. And he did what he said he was going to do. He knew the price, and then finally he made the purchase. And for Jesus, that purchase is perfectly portrayed in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made the purchase by becoming an object of wrath that we deserved. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died so that we could live forever. Let us not miss the the humanity and the deity, the humanity of Christ and the humanity of Boaz. There is an actual man named Boaz who actually sacrificed his life for a woman named Ruth. But there's actually a man named Jesus who's fully God and fully man who actually sacrificed his life for our salvation and both of those work perfectly together in this beautiful portrait of the gospel so as we draw to a close in one sentence I I want us to think about this here's our response if Christ sacrificed everything to redeem your soul what are you willing to sacrifice to glorify his name you know, Jesus warns us about this throughout the Gospels. He says in Luke nine twenty three, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denial, taking up a cross, sacrificial. And then he says later on in Luke 14, verses 28 through 30, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Boaz is a portrait of Christ. This is a man who was given great wealth, but was also a man who was willing to sacrifice everything and gain nothing in return. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ did in leaving his throne from eternity past in the gates of heaven, to come down, take on flesh, become one of us, and do so in such a way that He would gain nothing, but we would gain everything because of His great love for us. That's what redemption is all about. And what I want to say about our response is this. If He sacrificed that much for us, there's got to be something about our faith that's sacrificial in return. We talked about this in our our men's study on Thursday. Sometimes Christianity in the Bible belt is so easy that there's a part of our faith that's not really genuine because there's no sacrifice. If you died today and found out that there was no such thing as Jesus Christ, that everything we're doing on Sundays is a fairy tale, and you died and went to heaven, if you could say that you still lived a great life, then what I would say is, where's your sacrifice? Paul said in the Scriptures, we are most to be pitied as believers if we die and find out that Jesus is not true why did Paul say that because he was beaten shipwrecked he laid out his life to share the gospel to watch the churches grow and he did it in such a way that he said if I died all of this was for nothing my life would be a waste where I would say most of us here in 2018 if we died and find out there was no Jesus we'd have said well I still lived a good life you know, I, I, still, I still received all these blessings, and I still got a chance to know a lot of great people in this church family. And, you know, even if he's not real, I'm glad I did what I did. It was a great life. Well, here's what I want to say. There will come a point in your life, there always is, where God gives you the opportunity to go past your level of comfort and sacrificially live for him. In fact, I believe there's several moments through the course of your life where that happens. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Okay, some of you children in the sanctuary at the sound of my voice, right now your sacrifice is doing things you don't want to do because people who love you know more than you do about where you need to be and what you need to be doing. So your sacrifice right now is obeying your parents. Your sacrifice right now is finishing school. Your sacrifice right now is being at least somewhat respectful to your siblings. I know that's a challenge. All right, For young adults, you know what your sacrifice is right now? Staying pure till marriage. When the rest of the world says, you know what, it's okay to live together outside of marriage. It's okay. You're taking the car for a test drive. You know what the Bible says? No. That's a sacrifice. It's not easy when the rest of the world's doing one thing and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And what about those who are married and who are parents and grandparents? Maybe within the church, there's something God's calling you to do and it's sacrificial. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some energy. And and part of you saying, you know, I'm burned out. I'm just burned out. I don't want to do this anymore. Yes, there are seasons where we get overworked and we need to take a step back. And when someone comes to me and says, "Bo, I've been volunteering in so many things in this church, I need a season off. I understand that. It's understandable. We all need to have seasons of hard work and then seasons of rest. But I would say most of the people at the sound of my voice, I, I wouldn't say that you are giving to Christ to the point of exhaustion. What I believe is most of us are giving in other areas to the point of exhaustion and when we finally get to Christ, we got nothing left. When you get to the church on Sunday, you're already exhausted. When you get to Awana on Wednesday, you're already exhausted. So really, it's not the church that it's exhausting you, it's the other things that are less important so that when you get here you got nothing left. I just I, you know, I want to say this. I I'm struggling like every one of you is. I, I am, you know. I, I wake up every Sunday morning exhausted. I get my second wind when I come here. I love being in this church. But I, even as a pastor, even though this is my vocation, I wonder, what am I really sacrificing for God? Financially or time-wise? What are my sacrifices? What, I mean, am I willing to do what Boaz did? To give, to give everything and not gain anything in return. Just, just do it because that's the right thing to do for the God who loves you. As we pray, my prayer for all of us in this room would simply be this. It's different for everyone in this room. But let us pray this week about what cost do we need to consider and what sacrifice do we need to make to make God's name great in our life. It may be a ministry in this church. It may not be. It may be a ministry in the community. It may be a decision you have to make in your family, a decision you have to make in your neighborhood, a decision you have to make in your job to take a stand for Jesus that will cost you something. My prayer is we get ready to to, to exit into our Sunday afternoons and we head in separate directions that all of us would count the cost of redemption. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is so true and it's so rich. I wish we could have spent a whole lot more time in the text today. I know we're scattered today. There's so much happening. Father, again we pray for Brother Ronnie. I pray as he continues to make the journey to Vidalia that you would stabilize him and restore him. Father, my heart is scattered this morning thinking about him. Be with Miss Janie. But my heart's burdened for everyone in this room and myself included, Father. I can't, I can't get past this, God. When Every time I read these, these passages, I just think about how much sacrifice that you've made for us and I know I'm not sacrificing for you the way that I could, and I know that we're not. Father, would you help us to step outside of our comfort zone and live for you in such a way that if we died and find, found out that you weren't real, that we'd be pitiful creatures because our whole life was dependent upon you being real. Father, would you help us today? I pray that you would burden the hearts of anybody in this room who does not know your Son as Lord and Savior, that they would repent and give their life to you but for anyone who does claim your name, that they would make a commitment and a sacrifice to serve you in a way that maybe they haven't before, Father. Let your spirit move in our hearts and minds at this time, we pray, in a way that only you can. In the name of your Son, amen.